1: Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Chris Tannehill. How are you doing this evening, sir? We're
2: doing great, doing great. The winter meeting's underway this week. The winter Zoom meetings will uh, have a little more detailed uh, breakdown of what's been going on or maybe what's not been going on as we sit here on Sunday afternoon. Uh, just looking ahead, I don't know how much will actually get done this year. I think you'll look at another off season, sort of a couple years ago with Machado and Harper where things don't get done until March. So hopefully not the case, but... Uh, Today's episode. Go ahead. I, ho-
1: I hope we have to edit this part right here. Yeah, like, I I, don't I, I think hope so. you are listening. This uh, was it. Wednesday. We're gonna get yeah, this. This will be for Wednesday. And then this part makes like no sense at all because we got <laughs> X, Y, or Z player. That would be so great. And I want to leave this all in here. But then, of course, Chris's thing really comes true because, yeah. you know, whatever.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll of course, get, you know, have uh, all the latest from the winter meetings later on in uh, the week here. But and now it's Wednesday, it's part two of our interview with former White Sox beat reporter and columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he wrote for the Daily Southtown during the uh, World Championship years, uh, year for the White Sox, and the, and the good years, basically, the good old days for the White Sox. He covered them like no one else. It's part two of our Joe Colley interview, and what you're going to hear from Joe here is Joe talking about the, the dismantling of his relationship with the White Sox front office coaching staff and what led uh, to the end of the Ozzie Guillen era. I asked Joe if he thinks Ozzie will manage again. We get some good stories about Juan Uribe, Mark Burley, and even our, our guy, the late, great Ed Farmer. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I know you will because Herb and I certainly did. So without further ado, here is part two of the Locked on White Sox interview with Joe Cowley. Alright, Joe. Uh, story time on the White Sox. The one thing that popped in my head with Mark Burley, I was thinking about, I think it was July 9th, 2007. Burley gets the standing ovation because they think he's going to get traded because it's the last start on a Sunday before uh, the right, All-Star right. break. And, you know, people think that, oh, this is going to be Mark Burley's last start in a White Sox uniform. Do you know, and if he doesn't, if he gets traded then, then there's no perfect game, no postseason in 08. Do you know how close he was to getting traded in 07 there? Do you know how, like, how close down in the wire it came before he got his Eventual contract extension?
0: Yeah, I don't. I think it was there was so much posture. I remember that year. It was, that that story went on for like a week and was so fluid. And it was so you know back then. Yeah, I mean the internet was you, you weren't it, w- it wasn't the throw at something instantly on the internet then. You had the internet and stuff went on the internet. Your stories went on the internet, but it was changing so fast. And I think there was a lot more posturing than truth of what was going on. I think it was a big game of chicken. Um, I did not think he was going to get traded. I, I, I thought he, um, they were going to get something done. Um, I think they were definitely talking to teams and, and, and getting his, and ranking his value, but I never felt like, um, yeah, I, I just remember I didn't, I didn't feel like they were ready to cut him loose. I, I, I mean, I I didn't get caught up in it as much as other people did. I, I understood the moment, but I just felt like, you know, just I had a pretty good relationship with his agent at the time and, and just talking to. And I think isn't that when Rick Hahn got sent down to Tampa? I think Rick got sent down to Tampa like a, like a cleaner from Pulp Fiction to clean up, <laughs> talk to, you know, because uh, and then we came back home. I'm trying to remember the, the series of events because, you know, hell, I'm, I'm having an old senior moment. But I just remember I thought it was a lot more posturing and I thought both sides wanted to get it done and we're going to get it done. That was my. I, I remember that was my take on everything.
1: And I'm just uh, amazed by the White Sox and their whole dynamic. Reinsdorf, Kenny, and Rick. Right. I'm sure, um, through the years, you have talked about the, that dynamic. And then one thing I want to focus on is Don Cooper's role in that whole thing. Like you and Don Cooper had some back and forth there. There's no love lost there, and now he's gone. No. So. What was oh, not- ab-
2: absolutely, her. We have a little taste of that right now.
1: Everything
0: that Joe Cowley wrote is a bunch of lies, which makes him a liar.
1: And, like, I've always, like, you've already spoke about it. You don't care about what people's thoughts are, and I, that's what I love about you. I think you write from what you report, and it's true. So why was the contentiousness with you and Coop and seemingly you and Kenny throughout your White Sox tenure there?
0: I'll start with the Coop one. Um, They become become intertwined, but I have to start with the Cooper. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand something. You could get Merkin, Gonzalez, Scott Greger, all those guys that were covering the team, Doug Padilla covering the team at the time. Don Cooper was probably the biggest mole we had telling us what was going on behind the scenes for years. And his thing was, when our contract's about to be up, you got to really pound that for me. You got to, we got to get these. His whole thing was getting that next contract extension. And so whenever the coach's contracts were up, he would call us in the off season. He'd be like, Hey, this is what's going on. Our contracts are up. Can you write something? You remind them that, you know, look at my numbers. Hey, write this, this focus on this number. Um, we got to get these contract extensions done. Now, was a beat writer. You're like, all right, I'm not your agent, but look, Look at all this the stuff this dude's given me. So he knew the game. He knew what he was doing. So, and he would go across the board. It wasn't just like me. He would call Merkin. He would call he would do his rounds. So I always had a great relationship with Coop. You needed him for anything, he was there. I mean, instantly. So they're going into that final year where Ozzy's contract was going to be up and all the coaches were going to be up. And I remember the beginning of the year, Coop's like. Hey, we got to get this done, pound this. You know, Ozzy says he's going to take care of us once his contract gets done. But, you know, I I know that they'll also just say, hey, I'm doing the whole coaching staff. I get it, but can you? Okay. Cooper gets, there's like a family emergency. It's like the middle of the year. And Cooper goes away for a couple days. He comes back. He's away from the team for a couple days. I don't remember what it was. Maybe something with his daughter. I, I don't remember. That's not important. But, he comes back and he comes up and he goes, you know, I was thinking on this time off. You and I are done. I'm like, well, I thought he was like kidding. I thought it was a joke because it came out. I mean, we had a really good relationship. You know what? You're negative. You're trying to bring everything down. And I just had this revelation and I'm done. We're not talking anymore. And I was like, Coop, I, I, like I was like laughing. He goes, he turned to me. He was like walking away. He goes, I go, Coop, are you kidding? He goes, no. And he walked away so then i'm like all right something's off this 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 doesn't happen okay so now you're talking about months later here's what you find out this is why ozzy called cooper the biggest judas this that's when he cut the deal with kenny so he cut a deal a contract by himself with kenny but it comes with a caveat look kenny was always paranoid about what guys are saying saying about him i mean people forget Walk was waiting at the ballpark to beat Kenny's ass one day after Kenny went on and talked about the uh, Beckham swing on the score. <laughs> they had to have security waiting there because Walk went to the ballpark early looking for Kenny. Mm. And and so – Walk
2: and, and Hawk, was that that same time or was that a different time?
0: That was a different time. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, – so, the, the divide between the coaching staff and Kenny Williams and, and obviously Ozzy stuff um, was had grown so vast. So Cooper, the, the, the deal he cut basically was you tell me what everyone's saying about me. You're my inside guy, and I'm gonna, you got a lifetime scholarship. Mm. And so none, none of us knew that until later. But I remember the coaching staff found out with about maybe about a week left or five days, six days left, and they were beyond, beyond um, livid because not only had this guy been uh, 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 a Judas among them, um, people forgot how many times they bailed him out. There was a game in Toronto in the afternoon. Coop's not there. Coop's not there. Coop's got either so hammered or whatever the night before – he slept through it. They had to go to his room, have security open the door, get him sobered up, and get. I mean, they covered up a lot of crap for this dude. So, and to and to a certain point, the media covered up crap on this dude because why? Because he was our inside guy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you you decide what bridges you're going to burn and what bridges help you. That's the gig. So, for him to do that to that coaching staff the Joey Cora's and the walks and all those guys. I mean, they threw his stuff out of the coaching locker room. People are telling me he had to dress in a different room. They wanted nothing to do with him. He, he made his deal with the devil. He sold all those guys out. Everything they said, everything Ozzie said about front office and ownership and all that stuff. Coop leaked it all for a lifetime contract or what was a long time contract. So that's what, it's not he didn't do anything personally to me besides decide. Hey, I'm cutting you off. It's you have to go on the right the, the side of right or wrong. And what he did in a locker room, especially in a the coaches are separate from the manager. They usually have their own little coaches office that you guys know, and or coaches room. And they all dress. I mean, these dudes they're both spo- they're in the foxhole. They're supposed to be brothers. And for him to do that, forget. There's there's a there's a a, a code that he crossed in my book. That you just don't cross. And so um, that's why I had so much issue with him because I saw f- wh- what he really is. I saw him for who he is. And then the Kenny thing man, there's so many Kenny reasons that, you know, at, at the end of the day, Kenny Williams, without going into details of what personally happened, Kenny got ass bent because of something personally that happened off the field and felt like the Ozzie Guillen and the Guillen family was getting too much attention and becoming bigger than they should in his eyes. And it irked him. It aided him. I mean, Kenny's got a big ego and didn't want that ego challenged. And so he took something that happened personally and started making it professional. And then once it became professional, Um, you couldn't put the personal stuff back in it. You know, there was too much water in the oatmeal. You were, you were screwed then, but the the professional stuff, it carried over into that. And again, you have to get on the side of what's right and what's wrong in this profession. And I don't care what anybody says. Kenny was absolutely wrong. Ozzie was right. There were some things Ozzie shouldn't have done or, you know, stuff shouldn't have been tweeted out by his family and stuff, but I get it. I get what they were trying to do. And because they saw that this could end ugly or that Jerry may have to choose between the two. And the history of it is Jerry always goes with management or or a hierarchy front office over manager. Um, That's just his history, no matter how great the manager has been and how horseshit the front office has been. So he's always gone that way. So um, the Kenny thing, and again, It became – there was stuff I knew, and I talk about Collie Island. There was stuff I was reporting, and Kenny was smart. He knew the Tribune was the big competition, and he knew Dave Hall was the perfect puppet. And so he would go and leak the stuff to Dave Hall, who would dispute everything. There's no fight going on. There's no this and this. And it all ended up getting proven wrong when Jerry eventually had to come out in a statement and say, yes, Kenny and Ozzy are not getting along, and blah, blah, blah. but that, that's what happened. And, and I'd say Kenny and I had a really good relationship for a long time. I would say Jerry Reinsdorf, when I was at the Southtown, I don't think anyone had a closer relationship of the beat writers than than I did with Jerry. Um, he was giving me stuff that he no other paper was getting. Um, and then obviously that that ended up going completely south. And I don't know if it was because of the Aussie stuff or because he thought. Uh, I covered his team in an unfair way, or, I mean, there's probably hundreds of of reasons in his mind of of why it went that way. So um, that was it. And, you know, and the bottom line is, there's too many writers that think, well, I can't piss off the GM Hmm. or I can't piss off the pitching coach because they're too important. Hey, there's 25 guys in that locker room. There's eight, nine, 10 guys on that coaching staff. There's an assistant GM. There's scouts. You don't need everybody to like you and to think that, Oh, I can't piss this guy off. And to me, there is no one as a on a roster or a front office that I have to have talking to me. And if you have that mentality, it gives you a freedom to write how you feel or report how you feel you want to cover a team. If you feel like I'm somehow uh, have to keep this guy happy you're you're not doing your job justice. So I told Kenny, I, I don't I don't I can go years without talking to you. I don't need to talk <laughs> to you. And so um, and then there was I mean there he showed up and and this was right in front of Canerco because I remember Canerco looked at me like damn he just did that. He showed up in his like biker outfit, uh, you know his, his Lance Armstrong biking outfit <laughs> to, to Wrigley Field one day. And he didn't stay for the game. He he rode his bike there, just to purposely walk by me and bump me in the clubhouse, <laughs> and because it's something I wrote. And and so um, just childish stuff like that. So um, and then he was gonna he had lawsuits. To get, he was gonna put against me, and we're like, go ahead. Um, so and those were, that was just BS. And you know, so I think he threatened a lawsuit on the air. Uh, on the score. So, um, or Coop did one of them did, I don't, I don't remember. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that to me, that's kind of at least my version or my memory of, of why those two relationships probably went the most wrong. And I, I, I don't, you know, I feel like I stood on what was right compared to what they were doing. So that's, that's the, the, the path I took.
2: Well, we got to get uh, Kenny Williams' comment on the uh, the the bike suit story. You mean Joe Kelly's report? Yeah. Well, that's bull. Um, real quick on Ozzy before we get your thirty thousand foot view of the White Sox and getting your best of your rebate stories. Should Ozzy Gian manage again, and do you think he will?
0: Uh, yes and no. Mm. I think uh, um, yes. His 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 X's and O's and baseball mind was never valued like it should have because of. The other things that people noticed, you know, the mouth and his quotes and um, and everything was to me ninety five percent of what Ozzy did was planned. Um, there were very few times where he went off just out of emotion without it being, hey, this is the this is what I'm trying to spark in my team. This is what I'm trying to get done in my team. Um, the problem is baseball is so different now. Baseball, for the most part, I'd say ninety percent of the managers are just puppets to the analytics and to the front office. that the the position is not valued like it used to be Um, they don't want personality there they don't want opinion guys there Um, they want yes men and puppets and that's why the game is suffering I mean that's one of the reasons to me the game is suffering so much um, in the eyes of of younger generations and so there's no personality in in that dugout you're not allowed to have uh, uh, forget the players I mean the players are trying to Forge this path of having personality and bat flipping and, 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 and showing emotion. And even that goes, you know, with resistance from other players and guys that old school and, you know, the baseball rules and all that shit. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he will. And it's a shame you would need a situation where a team um, preferably a team that has a, another big dog team in its same city that is fighting for attention it's fighting for that it factor, a New York Mets gig, something like that. You would need something, an owner, just to say, "I want a good baseball guy, but I want a guy that that brings attention to our team." Um, and for the most part, most baseball front offices don't want that anymore. So,
1: and so, Ozzy doesn't get a job anymore. I'm thinking that what is his best role? To is it pre and post guy? Like, because you you've had a. A good, I think, relationship with Ozzy. I don't know yeah. if you still speak to the guy. Yeah. Um, like, do you think that Ozzy is in baseball in some capacity, MLB wise, or he's just going to be like the pre and post guy forever, just in perpetuity?
0: Well, here's the problem, because his resume is his resume. Any organization you're gonna you bring him into, he's that that dark rumor that's always, oh, he's eventually going to replace the manager. And teams don't want that. Baseball has become so – and I'm talking about in the front offices. And, and so – um. it was funny. It was great to hear um, – finally you're hearing some people in baseball say that we have to fix baseball. You know, Theo Epstein's press conference where he says, I want to go back into some capacity where we have to fix – the Frankenstein that we created, of making this game so stale. That's because they know what the numbers are. Attendance-wise, forget the COVID stuff. I'm talking even before that. Attendance-wise, TV-wise, just the feel of baseball and its place in America is so different the last 10 years and and it's gone so in such a a bad place the last 10 years. Um, They know it needs to be fixed, but nobody has the balls to fix it. Cause they're all caught up in what these MIT guys that they hired and this guy is telling him and this guy, and um they have forgotten the basics of what made that sport great. And so uh, I don't think he'll be brought into any organization because there's, he scares the guy that's actually the puppet that's actually sitting in that managerial chair. It, all right. This is at least what I was told. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say by who, but multiple people told me that Anderson, there were things in Anderson's game that Ozzie felt like he could fix and do some things with and wanted to, just like Frank Thomas would bring Walt Riniak into spring training and, 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 and they'd go work on a backfield. I think Ozzie wanted to do that for the betterment of Anderson. And I think Anderson was in on it too. And the, Coaching staff at the time, which is now a different coach staff, was so threatened with Ozzy just working with a guy in a backfield. Tim, An- Tim guy- Anderson. Yeah, Tim okay. Anderson. Okay, I want to make yeah, sure he's not
2: different. talking about Brian back in the day. So oh, no, no, okay.
0: no, 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 no. That would be – he'd, you know, he'd show you a picture of him naked on his phone if it was Brian Anderson. No. Um, dude, look at my abs. Dude, that's not your abs. Oh, my bad. Um, so – yeah, no, Tim Anderson, and they were so paranoid just about Ozzy coming down for a week and just working with this kid on some of his defensive um, habits that they put the kibosh on it. Now maybe the the organization will say that never happened, but I heard from reliable people that it, that it that it was in play last year and the kibosh was quickly put on. So no, he's a threat to that managerial chair, any the organization they bring him in because they, they all know he's the best manager in that organization that's not managing.
1: And I think maybe not the manager, but there has to be somebody in there that takes the pressure away from the players. I think that's the manager's main job to have that clubhouse, a cohesive unit, because there's 25 different personalities in there. And you put talked about the eight different coaches. You need a guy or woman to just get in there and just say, hey, this is how we're going to be playing baseball. We're not going to let any of that shit that you guys are talking about all these fights. It's not getting out. And if, it, if we go on a losing streak, I'm going to get in front of the camera and I'm going to rant and rave about things. So know that I'm not calling you out personally, but I'm trying to put the pressure onto myself and off of you guys. I need We need that type of guy. If it's not the manager, it needs to be a player in there. What do you say about that?
0: Absolutely. And the problem is managers. The other thing, too, is Ozzy came from the sport, got paid by the sport, so didn't he he probably had made a lot a lot more money than most of the guys that were coming up on his team. So he wasn't worried about if I lose my job, I don't have money. That's the other thing too. These guys will say some of these guys that never made it, never got that payday, they'll say do whatever it takes to make sure they keep that job for another year and get that money. And I get it. You got to feed your family. But at what cost? Are you being true to your team? Are you managing your team as hard as it should be managed? Um, You know, what's the the cost and the collateral damage of you making sure that you survive over doing what's right for a team and putting yourself out there and calling guys out? And I thought the great thing, I think it was AJ said, I think he was on recently and said and told somebody that they feared Ozzy. And I think I did Bernstein a couple days later and he asked me about that comment and. They didn't physically fear Ozzy, you feared the verbal sparring and and jabs he could do to you because look he and robin ventura used to make frank thomas cry like on a weekly basis back in the day when it was a young (laughs) frank (laughs) they would get on frank and didn't care if frank had four home runs and in two games and was hitting you know 450 and frank was feeling good about himself and thumping his chest they would dress him down verbally and that's what ozzy was great at so that's what that's what is lacking is when Ozzy walked through the locker room, guys were, you know, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? Because he he would come up with some crazy stuff from left field. So, um, yeah, I think that was the what the, what he meant by the the fear of Ozzy.
2: Quick timeout and a word from our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. And now the improved Built Bar is even deliciouser somehow. They've got 18 amazing flavors, including six brand new flavors, the caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And, of course, they've got the 12 original flavors that you love so much and that we've talked about many times here of course including the nut and non nut varieties they've got coconut almond raspberry german chocolate peanut butter banana bread mint brownie salted caramel double chocolate orange toffee almond coconut and peanut butter brownie oh built bars are delicious they're covered in 100% chocolate they're soft and easy to chew me personally I'm trying to trying to reel it in here this holiday season and not go after the sweets as much so built bar is going to come and clutch this holiday season so I don't make bad choices they're soft they're easy to chew they're great if if you're a health conscious person on the go, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. You know if you're if you're dieting or just trying to stay on top of your health, those are the keys right there uh, to do healthy snacking. And for now, Built Bar's got a special offer for you guys the Lockdown White Sox listener. You've got a free cooler with purchase if you act now. You go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code on for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. So you mentioned A.J. and Ozzy and, you know, that era of White Sox baseball, those personalities, like tr- some true alphas and guys like Burley who people didn't know how funny he was behind the scenes. And then you got a guy like Juan Uribe, who a lot of people still don't know best. like what a character he was. What was it like covering Juan Uribe? And if you want to incorporate your best Juan Uribe stories and remind you that you're not on the score airwaves, you don't have to be confined right. to FCC and all that. So well, what was yeah, it like? I
0: mean, you can't even tell <laughs> – Uribe stories now because the climate is so different than, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I tell you the relationship between Burley and and Juan and the stuff they used to do to each other, <laughs> it would now be considered. Oh, they were, Burley was a was a clan member, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that wasn't the case. And you know, case in point, Uribe Juan used to eat bananas every day, and he would run. First of all, you have to understand something about Juan Uribe. You have to explain his background. He spoke a language that was supposed to be Spanish, and Ozzie would even say <laughs> it's not Spanish. I don't know what it is. So he had his own language, and this was a guy. Look, he had to. I think that I think one time he told us that he didn't get anything past like a fourth or fifth grade education. You know, the Dominican they pulled them out and put them in baseball yeah. academy. Baseball is their age. education for if you're yeah, poor. Yeah. there, so, yeah. You have to understand the culture there was so different. So Uribe used to have this call he used to do. He'd come in the clubhouse. He'd go, ooh, ooh, Uribe. Ooh, ooh, Uribe. So he, you know, okay. So one day, <laughs> Burley's like like looking at him. Now you have to understand the back and forth they had, it was, you know. So um, he Juan was eating his banana. Burley took a picture of it. And then in spring, and then like a couple of days later, came out with a T-shirt, and it said "Ooh, Ooh, Uribe," and it was him on a T-shirt eating the banana. So Uribe goes, "Ah, oh, I get, I get him back, I get him back, I get him back." <laughs> now people have to understand he couldn't. If you'd say to Uribe, Juan, who's that? Uh, white guy. I don't. I don't yeah. know who he is. But these are his teammates. <laughs> yeah,
2: new guy, white guy. New guy,
0: white guy. You know, he called me over all the time. White guy, white guy, white. Guy. Come here, come here, come here. And he'd say, uh, you know, uh, he knew he knew uh, when one time he said Makov- he didn't say Makoviac's name right, but he said it, we were shocked that not only he knew that McCoviac had a, a last name that began with an M, but he almost got close to it. Garland, he didn't know him. I remember one time I asked him. He said, "We our, our team we don't we don't have enough we don't have enough dark skin, not enough dark skin." I look around, I go, "Well, oh, yeah." I go right there. He go, "No, no." I pointed at Jermaine. I go, "Jermaine, he go, no, no, Jermaine White." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, Jermaine, he hunt, he hang with Bur- Bailey, he white." Bailey, yeah, uh- so, yeah. So, so that was. I mean, the world of Juan was a place that was. Um, well, anyway, so he came back with a. Uh, F. Bailey shirt. He took a picture of Burley <laughs> and it said F. Bailey on it but it didn't say F. It said the word obviously. Um, but the, the best I mean the classic story was and I've told it a hundred times was when they acquired Blum and they're in New York City. My favorite. Blum, yeah, Blum shows up with his wife. You know, Blum was looked like a Ken doll. His wife looked like a Barbie doll. They're California cool. Great looking couple. They get in late. Well, his his name, you know, a lot of these guys have aliases. His was Johnny Utah from Point Break, you know. So he checked in the hotel, told Ed Casson you know, Johnny Utah. Middle of the night, they're hearing screams like there's a, like a domestic dispute going on. And the wife's like, you got to you got tell Ed, you got to call security. Um, so he didn't want to call security. You're a new guy. You don't want to. So he calls Ed. He goes, hey. Something's going on. I don't know if, if it's one of our players, blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, Ed started laughing. He goes, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of it. Now you have to understand Ed Casson should, should be in heaven. Juan would come up. The first time we met Juan in the, in the book, in his bio, it said single the next year, it said, "Married with three kids." So we we don't know what we don't know what was going on. Now his
2: kids, Wani, or Juan, Juanita,
0: Juan, Jr., Yeah, yeah. And so Ed had to babysit Juan, basically. But so um, then the next morning, <laughs> Blum, tell, Blum t- tells us, and I'm sure the story, baseball stories tend to get exaggerated through the years. The next morning, he and his wife are going out. You know, to grab breakfast and stuff. And all of a sudden, the door opens up. It's Uribe in a white robe. (laughs) Now, you have to understand about Uribe. Uribe's reputation was fun loving guy, great guy, but also had a (laughs) kickstand. So,
1: Vizante Cinco.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Uribe comes out. He's got a white robe. He's, hey, new guy. If you hear screams from now on, you hear screams tonight. Don't worry, she okay. <laughs> and that was Blum's introduction to his White Sox teammate. So, um, you know, but, I mean, there's... Did there's, he
2: did he actually piss on a Nick Swisher bobblehead on his bobblehead night back in 08? I thought I read that somewhere. Maybe it was figurative, but did he actually do that?
0: I think he did. I think he did. Um, he used to... I remember when uh, AJ, AJ hit, like, his... I don't remember what career home run AJ didn't have a lot of home runs and it was a big deal. I don't, I don't remember which one it was. And Uribe was laughing at him. Hey, AJ, you hit one. I hit that in winter league. I kill it in winter league. And he was just going at AJ and just laughing. Um, that was a good one. Cause the, cause AJ usually would win any kind of verbal sparring, but with Juan, he, he, he didn't even know what to do with him that night. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many Juan Uribe stories and memories and, and just what he, the importance he meant in that locker room and that, that clubhouse. Um, he was the best. He was one of my favorite to cover of all time.
1: Is there any player that, you know, the public really doesn't know about that was a character himself, good or bad? I mean, I, th- I always think about when you're talking about Frank Thomas and the other guys who were, you know, checking the box score, I heard that was about Carlos Lee too. Like he didn't give a damn about if they oh, won or lost. Yeah, and that's why Ozzy didn't really like him that much. He said
0: you can't win with the guy. That's yeah. What, I remember he as soon as as soon as he, he was a double play, he didn't slide
2: against it the Twins, Ozzie's, right?
0: Yeah, it was Ozzy's first year. He's like, Can't win with the guy. Even though he's gonna give you thirty five homers and a hundred RBIs, you can't win with the guy. Um I'm trying to think of a guy that was sneaky. Well, Brian Anderson, but I think people Kind of got a feel of him, and he wasn't a big enough, significant enough. But he, that dude, was out of his mind, out of his mind. Um, I'm trying to think of some other sneaky. Jermaine Die was sneaky, funny, um, shit stir. Um, Garland was a dick. I'm trying <laughs> to think of uh...
1: too cool for the room.
0: Oh, you talk about just orange. County, SoCal, digging himself. I mean, he was the poster boy of everything wrong with SoCal. Um, speaking of, speaking not, of, but, speak,
2: you know, I always think of, of Farmio when we talk about John Garland. You know, they were so yeah. close. You, you know, we miss Farmio a lot. Do you have any good Ed yeah. Farmer stories too while we're uh, sort of on topic?
0: Oh my God. Ed Farmer stories. <laughs> so many of them. I mean, <clears throat> all right. The, the best one, I knew Ed pretty well. You You were either. In Ed's circle or not in his circle. And there are a lot more outside the circle than in. If you were in, oh, my goodness. I remember one time. He's like, I don't. he and I just kind of hit it off. But it took a while. At first, I was like, this dude's a dick. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then once we hit it off, that was, I mean, he and I used to go out to eat, go golfing together all the time. But I remember one time, he's like, Collie, we're in Baltimore. I'm doing, I did rain delay theater. And uh, I'm leaving. He goes, hey. Got your license on you, Farmio. Never like to tell you fully what was going on. I'm like, yeah, give me your license. Like, well, give my license for it. Just give me your license. Don't worry about it. Be ready to go tomorrow. The White House. I'm like, White House. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he takes my license. He goes, I'll, I'll give it to you after the game. Gives it to me after the game. I'm like, what time? Uh, bus leaves at 10:30. Okay. He goes, you're going to see things in the White House you never saw. Okay. <laughs> and you know, I kind of had gone golf with him a couple times at courses that I would never be allowed to step foot on. So I knew this dude knew a lot of people. I didn't know the extent of it cuz he tells you stuff but you it almost sounds like someone BSing you, but mm-hmm. it never was. And that's the amazing thing. It never was. And so, he's like, uh come up in the 7th inning, I want you to meet somebody. So I came up in the 7th inning. This is so and so. He's uh third in charge of the Secret Service. I go like the presidential secret service. Yeah. So I meet the guy, great guy, nice guy and stuff. So he's like, yeah, ten he gives my license back. So the next day I go down for the bus and I'm thinking, all right, we're going to go, we're going to look at the front of the white house. We're going to, you know, this, there was probably about eight of us. Canerco I remember was there. Cause he and I were like, this is, why are we doing this? This is headed for disaster. We, within two, within an hour of leaving, we're standing in the in the Oval Office. <laughs> <laughs> Mansu Lee starts going through confidential stuff on Man- the desk. Mansu
2: Lee.
0: Now people have to remember Mansu Lee is a Korean guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. And the White House probably would frown about a Korean guy going through confidential folders on the desk. They're like Mansu Lee, no, you can't do that. Man-su-li, Why? <laughs> you can't do that. Um, they this tour they took us like. the guy would we the guy leading us around he was a secret service guy he'd whistle and he'd go look up in this tree (laughs) he'd whistle you're looking up you don't see anything all of a sudden you see a guy just dip his head out totally camouflaged (laughs) you're like holy moly um then he would go by he'd like it looked like a wall you'd hit it a door i mean it was the most unbelievable view and and secrecy of the white house that i think anyone could have ever seen and Ed arranged it and I remember we're leaving and Ed he'd always be like, So what'd you think? Huh? Huh? You know, I was like, I told you, huh? And I'm like, No, Ed. He goes, and then his, at the time he and Hawk were kind of always in a cold war at times. He'd be like, You're not because I he knew I was friendly with hockey So Hawk harrison didn't get in tours like this. I'm like, no, you're right, big Hawk ain't getting you in places like this. So um un- unbelievable guy. And the thing I think that people don't understand about him. Very religious. Always, you'd find a priest in that in that press box at least once a month. Um, always went to the service, and the 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 way he adored his daughter and his wife. That I mean, as a young guy who I met him at the time, I wasn't married, and you know, was single. Um, that helped me become a man, a husband, a father. To see how you should do it. Um, and it's not easy, but this is how you should do it. So you're, t- you know, I covered this team when I was pretty young and a way different person. And a lot of these guys, Jerry Manuel, Ed Farmer kind of raised me too. So, um, and Ed was one of those guys that was like a road father, like Jerry Manuel was a road father when you're, you you can not you know, when your dad's back in Cleveland and you're, Covering this team, those guys were like road fathers that you looked up to and taught you a lot of valuable things in life. And Ed was definitely one of those guys.
2: Um, just real quick on the way out, just what do you think about the Tony Larusa hire?
0: Just to me, it shows you the difference between Jerry and Michael Rindorf right now and how they run teams. Michael hired Arturus, picked out the guy. You know, Jerry had to give it the thumbs up, thumbs down but then Michael has been completely hands off and let Arturis fire a good friend and, and Michael's good friend in, in Gar Foreman, let him fire Jim Boylan who who Michael thought was a good uh, uh, coach um, and has just stood back and trusted his process, process of hiring the right guy and letting the right guy do his job where Jerry still can't help himself as far as uh, mingle as far as putting his hands on the product and and making final decisions. So, um, I think, I think Tony Larusa is a great baseball mind. I just don't know if it's a great baseball mind in in 2020 and if it's a great baseball mind with this team. Um, we'll see. I I mean, I could see it going either way to me, it's either going to be great or it's going to be a disaster. There's no middle ground on this. It's a sink or swim, um, proposition and i and i think uh um we're all gonna call sit back and watch the soap opera
1: i mean you could have had this with Ozzy again and i'm sure most of the fans and everybody else would like you know it's insular hiring but also we get it
0: we I- get it a lot of a lot of uh spanish-speaking guys on that team mm-hmm. a lot of guys that are younger guys you know ozzy's still a really hip dude and, and understands Aww. younger guys even if he has an old school mentality he gets how younger guys think I don't know if Tony does that. I don't know what the disconnect's gonna be like and if it's gonna be too too much of a gap for these guys. Cause look, people a baseball manager, especially right now, they don't really do shit. Okay. The one thing they have to do is connect to these guys and keep them together for 162. That's a long, that's a lot of games, a lot of battling. You have to to me, you have to love each other. You either have to fear them enough that you love them, or you have to actually love them to go out there and commit fully for an entire season to play winning baseball. It's hard. I mean, there's there's not a lot of repeat champions in baseball for a reason. It's a freaking grind. And you need somebody that understands that grind and can keep it together for that amount of games, that amount of months, that amount of road trips. I don't know if Tony can do that. Yep. We'll see. Maybe he can. I, I, you know, he's a great baseball mind. No one's disputing that.
1: And Joe, we kept you way too long. I'm gonna end with this on myself. I want to know. Like, I think Paul Konerko is probably the most interesting White Sox player that you have covered. Um, just his answers are just so thoughtful. He'll take his yeah. time and just give you a a long winded answer. But it's man, wow! I never thought about that who was your most interesting player other than, like, to interview, not just to cover and, you know, Burley and all the weird things?
0: Canerco and Robin Ventura were and not – Robin is a manager. I only dealt with him a little bit. I was still – I was doing columns at the time, so I was in and out. But I had Robin for a year um, as a player. Those two were very similar because they'd make you work as a writer. Robin especially. If you asked a question like – you know, there's so many guys that ask lazy questions. Um You, you know, it was seventh inning, you hit that home run. You know, that's a lazy-ass question, obviously. A lot of Talk guys don't ask a lot of questions asked. <laughs> and Robin would just turn to you and go, like, it's not good enough, dude. I'm not answering you. He would just put his hands up and go, yeah. <laughs> so you had to ask something that was thoughtful. Canerco was like that, too. Not to the extent, but um he wanted – could be asked good questions, he wanted to be challenged, and he was sneaky good with us as far as the relationship he built. Um, funny, big sopranos guy. He and I used to talk sopranos. Um, I always used to say, Dude, you you you, you remind me of an Italian guy because you know I'm Italian, so Italian guys kind of recognize Italian, and but I you know and he'd be like, No, I'm not, but um, gave me the nickname uh, because we always there was a lot of nicknames going around and during the Sopranos time, he, he was the one that nicknamed me Joey spoons. And uh, I was like, what Joey spoons? He goes, yeah, you're always stirring it up. Joey Spoons." <laughs> <laughs> so, and then he said, in some days it's Joey greasy spoons. Um, so yeah, he was, he was definitely interesting. Jim told me when you, when you didn't have to talk to him about baseball was great. And I'll tell you what, the one guy who was the best guy to talk to about everything besides baseball was Griffey Jr. He was, you know, he was a Cowboys guy and I was a Steelers guy. So he and I used to just go at it. Um, A short time he was there. Um, When you talk football with him and we know what his son became, the one son was playing football for a while. Um, He was in the Steelers on the Steelers practice squad for a while. He was a receiver. Um, Great person to talk to, except when it came to baseball when you needed quotes from him, not good. But stuff like that, people will never understand uh, or people probably wouldn't get a, a, a feel of what that guy was like unless you actually had to deal with him. Uh, there are so many guys. I mean, uh, you know, I'll always, the, the best memories I have as far as um, relationships and, and friendships, you know, look, I still talk to Jim Parquet and Sirotka all the time. Um, that's just what baseball does. And I was a younger guy and, and back then, um, you didn't know that it's probably not good to become friends with guys. And, um, um, so yeah, I became friendly with some guys and, and to this day, I'm still friendly with them now. It's like, yeah, if I'm friendly with a guy, I'm friendly with him, but I, I got enough friends. I'm not searching for that in this profession now. I mean, and you learn that as the, as the, as the years go on in this, in this gig. So, um, but I'm trying to think if there's a real sneaky guy that was really good to deal with, um. I know the guys. The three guys I hated the most were Orlando Cabrera, number one, mm. Kenny Lofton.
1: Oh God, You're just naming um, them all.
0: Oh, Charlie O'Brien may have been the worst human being in the history of backup catchers. <laughs> so random. Oh my God, you talk about a red-ass, redneck, bad human being. Charlie O'Brien may have been one of the worst humans. <laughs> Where'd you Orlando, Where'd you cover him? Like, where you? He was. It was he the was white there, he was real quick. There that first year. Yeah. Oh wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. Oh, God. bad, bad signing, bad human being, hated <laughs> to a man.
1: Um, I mean, I heard that Orlando Cabrera was hated by every team, and that's and why I kept silly. on getting traded. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah it, bad, bad human being. Kenny Lofton. Uh, he was great. If you were a TV guy, awful for us. <laughs> I actually got along really well at Albert. I loved Albert Bell. I mean, um, he and I got along well.
1: And that Shock- goes back to you. And that goes back to your, the media holds people against them if they're bad to the media, like Albert bells numbers are just as good as Kirby Puckett's, but he's yeah. not Kirby Puckett.
0: Yeah. Albert Bell was, you know, he was a strange dude. I'm not going to say he wasn't a strange dude. Um, But the thing was, Albert was kind of just like a bully. And if you were afraid of Albert, he would feed on that. Where instantly, I didn't give a shit if Albert liked me or not. So I would just be like, you know, his whole thing is uh, you couldn't talk to him. You had to go through PR to see if he was talking that day. Well, I got sick of doing that because PR, I don't want to bother them all the time. So I just go up to him. Albert, you talking today? You can be a baby. And I think he kind (laughs) of dug that. I didn't give a shit one way or the other, if he'd get mad at me. Um, so, um, and by the end of the year, um, he and I actually had a pretty good relationship before he, you know, they exercised that clause and he left for, I think it was Baltimore at the time. So, Mm um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've had some relationships with some NBA guys that are good, you know, Jimmy Butler, I think everyone knows that how highly I think of Jimmy Butler, but that's more of Jimmy as a player. And, um, where in baseball you get to learn these guys as people. I was a big P V guy. I, I like Um Yeah, I mean, there were so many good good guys. There were a lot of good dudes on those teams, especially that World Series team. El Duque. The Duque was the best. Um, sneaky good. Especially because Kenny wanted to keep him off that playoff roster, and Ozzie didn't. <laughs> so when Duque stuck it up Boston's butt with bases loaded and nobody out, you better you – better, believe he let Kenny know that he's the Duke and don't leave the Duke <laughs> off the playoff roster
2: uh, Joe we love you you're one of the truth tellers and uh, you do a great job covering the Bulls now for the Sun-Times and thanks for being so generous with your time today we're going to go watch <laughs> the Bears uh, win 13 to 9 and continue their <laughs> there's,
1: there's, there's,
0: <laughs> hey there's room on this bandwagon boys <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean room.
1: I'm, I'm not too far away all right Joe thank you for your time we appreciate it
0: all right boys you guys take care have a good day all
1: right
2: happy holidays to you and the band man
0: all right you guys right. too
2: all right, there you have it, Herbie. Joe Colley, great content this week from our guy Joe, man. Great stories. I-, I love hearing someone as accomplished as him and someone you know who's been around like Joe has. Just tell it like it is and, and give us stories that uh, I've never heard before. I love the Farmer story about the White House. Uh, that-, that was great. Of course, the Uribe story, it's like on the greatest hits album of Joe Colley stories, but mm-hmm. a lot of you guys may have never heard that before. But yeah, it's just good stuff from our-, from our guy Joe right there.
1: I just feel so like good about that interview and also like ah, can we print that out there oh god Joe was telling things he, like he knew like is this off the record was this on the record I feel like I'm an insider on those teams I mean you know Coop is gone now so yeah that story is you know neither here nor there oh and we're just doing this on a Sunday and Cole Komet scored his first touchdown as a bear great times Um, but yeah uh Joe Colley is just so awesome and I know he's a polarizing figure and like he was saying in the interview you got to be kind of a polarizing figure if you're doing this job right. 50% of the people like you, 50% of the people hate you. And then like he was saying, I would think in Chicago probably it's a more 60-40 for him and put whatever you want on um, what side you want him to be on. But that is all for this episode. So it's Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill. I am Herb Lawrence, EctonWall23 ah, on what's, what's coming
2: up later in the week? Hopefully some breakdowns of some free agent signings. We know someone's going to sign somewhere. It may not I, be I with mean, the Sox, but we'll, we'll be talking about it I and mean, how it you know, affects the White Sox
1: directly. I mean, it won't be in the teams in the Central, unless yeah. it's the Royals, who have already made two moves. Like, yeah. minor moves. they got Michael Taylor in the team. Yeah. He's going to fucking kill us. I, <laughs> I could feel it. I could definitely feel that. But, yeah, I, I'm not expecting anything during this week. I'm putting it down. Should I put my guarantee on it so it can it, happen? Yeah. I guarantee the White Sox don't sign or trade for anybody of consequence during this winter meeting. I'm five of five for three on my guarantees, so five wins, three losses. Put it down as a guarantee they ain't going to do it. Print it. it. <laughs> so if I go five and four, put me in the playoffs like the Bears. All right. So for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Locked on Sox.